Sounds may be perceived as color, or color as odor. I, I knew that the boys smoked pot, and they, they equally knew that I disapproved. I was free above the planet Earth, so it was rotating majestically below me. New Year in Australia. listening to FBI 94.5 Stu Cannon with you on New Weird Australia and right there something from Pimmon from a cassette release uh, which came out uh, a few months back called Steered in Smash Ascent on the stunned label we heard I Fill My Head with Rentigen Rays now uh, Pimmon is uh, an artist who you've probably heard of Uh, if not he's uh, been making music now for nearly three decades and is probably arguably one of Australia's uh, best known experimental producers and uh, certainly has uh, released Music on labels such as Tiger Beat and Fat Cat, work with artists such as Fenez and uh, Oren Mbarchi, and has released many, many records uh, over those intervening three decades. Of late, though, over the last 18 months, there has been uh, quite a kind of surfeit of releases, extremely prolific, and also he's been quite prolific in the live environment as well. And tomorrow night, sees him playing live at the Sound Series at the Hardware Gallery on Enmore Road, along with Edmund Montgomery and Anna Chase. Now we managed to catch up with Pimmon last week for a bit of a chat and so uh, we're now going to play that interview for you as well as playing some tracks from some of those new releases. So uh, sit back and enjoy this one. This is Pimmon with you now on New Weird Australia. New Weird Australia. I might start by offering an observation I suppose which is that in the last 18 months um, you've been extraordinarily prolific in terms of the number of releases that have appeared bearing your name um, from Smudge to um, the Live and Pear CD, Steers and Smash Ascent, Dimension P and now a split cassette, um, stuff that you've been doing with uh, the Room 40 label. So from an outside perspective, um, it's been a very busy period, whereas previous to that, I guess, it had been a number of years before Smudge and other yesterday. Do you see this as a prolific period in, in Pimmon? I guess I do, but I, it's funny. In some ways, I don't feel it's as prolific as the start because at the start, particularly if you look at a, a site like Discogs, it really, and even when I look at that, I go, oh my goodness, you know, and there's really a lot of stuff that it all seemingly came out at the one time. I think sometimes when you, you, really, you, you collect material and you give it to people, it takes a long time for it to come out. And I think some of that earlier releases that seemed to all come out at once suffered that fate. Um, 
But yes, it's true. I guess there's been a kind of a resurgence uh, of making music. And in some ways, I've actually pulled back because I quite easily could have had another three or four things out. Um, but I think there was a twofold reason for, for maybe going quiet. One was it was a choice because I think there's a lot of music out there and there are times when, and I mean, I, I see the volume of music that, that sort mm. of comes in the mail or, or just, you know, through looking at, at, at release sheets. Um, and I guess you come to a point where you start to question, you know, am I just sort of cluttering, you know, the sound waves with more and more stuff is it valid do people really want to hear it um so you know and and then some of that becomes a struggle in a in a kind of a in my case a self-belief thing and then i think it just gets to a point where this is really about expression it's not about for me it's not about you know concepts it's not about saying i'm going to you know make something that means this or that i just get the urge and, and I just have to do it. And has that always been the way? It's always been the way, and it's always been um, cyclical too, you know, and, and that's varied. I mean, even when I first started doing stuff, um, you know, and I think that comes from, you know, I, I have obsessive tendencies, and so there were periods when I was about 17 when I just started recording. I mean, it's absolutely awful. This is even pre the Wyclef stuff. This is... You know, stuff I used to go over to a friend's place and we'd just pick up instruments and we'd hit record. And it was four-lesque. I mean, we, one of my favourite stories is um, we did a version of Totally Wild and we... Uh, wired, sorry. We did a version of Totally Wired and we used his mum's knitting machine legs and I was screaming and smashing these <laughs> legs on the floor and we bent them so much you could never use it again. <laughs> um, so we were just just churning out this stuff. And, I mean, my friend went along with it. He had really no interest in it. But for me, it was almost like this dream world I was in of, of wanting to make music, of wanting to put it out. And I never put, obviously, any of that stuff out because it was just too awful. I did do a cassette at school that I put out, and um, it was actually pretty bawdy as well, so I wouldn't ever <laughs> release it now. And I know somebody's got it, but I just hope they never put it online. But, um, yeah, so then there's the, the lull, and then it sort of comes back again. But... Um, I don't know how long those periods last, you know, but at the mm. moment I just, yeah, I'm really enjoying sort of doing it and enjoying playing live, I think, more than mm. ever before. Um, that's sort of something I haven't enjoyed as much, I think. And that that's, I guess, another observation in the in tandem with, um, you know, the the frequency of material that's that's released. There is also what seems to be a step up in the amount of live appearances um, that you're making. Um, that's, um, I mean, what do you put that down to in terms I of I think that? it's just being asked. I mean, right. I, you know, thing. and I think there were a lot of times, see, there was a, it was a really weird period and I wonder whether elements within, and I've never really brought it up in, within the sound community, um, because there was a period when I stopped being asked uh, or I wasn't asked. And I can remember there was a gig for, for, I think, um, let me think it was for, uh, the now, now. And I got asked to play as a trio with Oren and Oren Mbachi and uh, Torben Tilly from Minute. And I think two days before, I actually had a panic attack. And I thought, I can't do this. And I pulled out. And I know that they were pretty annoyed. And I think Robbie Avenham stepped in. But this is some of the... Th like, there are mm. moments when I just 
can't do it because I just think, I don't know, I just lack a kind of confidence or think that, I don't know, it's a very strange thing. It's like, a, it's, a, it's a kind of anxiety. Is it back to that idea you mentioned before, though, about, you know, the, the validity of the contribution? Is it, is it partly about that? I think or? it's that. I think mm. it's that. So, um, but I think the, you know, the, the thing at the moment is, I mean, I, I just think that my, my personal thing is I'm concerned that I'm playing too much because yeah. I, I honestly don't think that, I mean, I think maybe once or twice a year is enough. Um, but I've been kind of trapped because I do find it hard to say no. Like I'd said after I played a gig for the Biennale, I said, that's it. And then um, Joachim from Hinterland said, oh, we're going to do a little gig at Jura Books. Do you want to play? And he'd been asking me for a long time. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll play. And then, but prior to that, I'd promised somebody else, look, I can't do your gig because I'm not playing anymore. And they saw the Jura Books and said, oh, you must be playing again. And I thought, okay, yeah, I'll play. So it's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the gig I'm playing for, which is uh, the Sound Series 7, <laughs> was another one of those. Right. Um, and that will be the last one for this year, I think. And um, I guess I'll reevaluate after that. But what's yeah. interesting about it, though, is even in the spectrum of gigs that you're playing, I mean, the sort of bills that you're on with or the people that you're playing with are pretty diverse. You know, So you'll go from like a hinterland at Jura Books to playing with people like Anna Chase at Sound Series, but then you know, Chris Abrahams um, at, uh, for, for the Biennale and you know, last year with, uh, at Sound Summit and playing am- amongst those artists. So you're kind of uh, positioning yourself, if you like, in, albeit inadvertently, with other artists that might expose yourself, that might expose you to people that ordinarily wouldn't have stumbled across you. I guess so. I, I, it's it's not. I'm not a. Uh, I'm not a marketeer, so it's <laughs> ne- it's not done from any great desire to have a wider scope. Um, I guess it's. I mean, I think the thing I've decided there are certain types of venues I, I, I don't think I really would play anymore. I mean, pub gigs I think really aren't my scene, and I kind of stupidly went along with it at times. I, I, you know, they they're the kind of gigs I don't do now. And then, if anything, they were the more diverse kind of audiences because I remember playing with um, Ukiwe and, um, you know, playing a gig at the Lansdowne, which had more kind of rock kind of stuff. And so you, in that scenario, you're putting yourself there as somebody standing up with a computer, which, you know, it just doesn't look like it's in the right place. So in some sense, even though there is a diverse selection of the artists we've mentioned, they've all been in more recognisably you know, underground, mm. for want of a better term, you know, serial space and places like that. So it's almost that, you know, a lot of diversity has occurred within those kind mm. of venues and I just happen to sort of be there and be asked to play mm. them. Well, why, why it is that I'm being asked to play on a variety of bills, I don't really know.
you're an artist who has been making music now for you know 25 odd years um and you know you've been through um you know many labels and many scenes if you like but you're still here you're still making music but appearing on on bills such as sound series for example sort of recontextualizes once again um and kind of in some ways kind of uh helps to reappraise what it is that you're doing i guess you i it's funny i've never ever honestly felt that I've belonged to any scene. And that's not saying trying to make myself sound special or anything. It's just that I, I really haven't. I mean, when people said, oh, there was a scene called Microsound, I, I never really felt that I belonged to that because any, if anything I did, I, it was more macro sound, you know, it was a bigger kind of thing. And then there was like the whole IDM thing with, you know, by having an affiliation with Kid 606. And in a sense, I wanted to try something and, that was the home, Tiger Beat was the home for doing something that was more rhythmic. And in many ways, you know, that was obviously the more palatable side of what I do. I think that, you know, I can only put it in terms of, of music that I love and, and following artists that I love. And, and you know, inevitably, and I guess hopefully, maybe hopefully, sometimes we like to keep artists and the sound they do in a certain box and never to be let out, you know. Um, but inevitably you move on and you change and mm. you want to ha- have some kind of different focus. And so, I mean, I think that's been prevalent. I think that maybe there's a, a, a kind of a sound you'll hear that, that you associate with what I do. I don't honestly really know that. I just, I mean, I don't really think in those terms. I just do what I do and I'll be, I'll go through certain phases and I'll think, well, I want to focus more on this or I want to focus mm. more on that. So... <clears throat> I guess in that way you you find yourself being in, in, in different places. But I don't think I've necessarily, and I honestly have never tried to say uh, I want to be a part of a scene. You know, I, I don't think I want to, you know. I mean, I did a cassette for the Stunned label and it was more sampling synths, but it was different because while I was probably inspired by listening to things like um, you know the guys from emeralds and things like that it i'm not playing the synths i'm playing around with synths mm. and so from that perspective for me it's very different um but i don't ever think that i would align myself with that scene you know? and that's the steered and smash ascent release you're talking about yeah that's yeah. that that release which you know has as i said the the the, the main loops and the sounds that i'm using are, are from both synths that i have and from recordings of since I have so um and that was interesting because um uh, as well that it was probably your first cassette release certainly in a long time if not ever well no certainly not ever because you you certainly released it was stuff. the first you know pro- professionally made cassette <laughs> release so i mean that obviously kind of had um uh, an an effect on the way or, or did it rather have an effect on the way that you thought about um producing the sounds and what the output of the sounds would be because the, the format in which it's going to be released is going to be degraded from as, as opposed to the digital quality i, I don't know whether i mean i'm, I'm intrigued by some of the current people making music for cassette because, for example, where I work, we have this beautiful piece of software called Isotope and you can take any, you know, old cassette recording and you can clean it up and you can remove the noise and it's better than anything kind of I've heard. And I've done that with a lot of older recordings and I'm not necessarily even talking about things I've done, but just things I recorded as a kid on tape and it's removed the hiss and it sounds good. 
I tried it on some of these newer recordings, and you know what? They sounded awful. <laughs> and I think that there's something going on where there is almost a a recognition and an embracing of the hiss. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, mm. but mm. The, certainly the, the two or three releases I tried it on, I can only listen to it with that hiss there. And I kind of, you know, it's quaint, and I kind of deal with it. I don't think I embrace the hiss in that sense. <laughs> I mean, there are things that, I guess, well, there are some things I've been doing lately that, that incorporate that into it, but it's not, once again, necessary. I don't think I ever do anything as a... I think it's almost more subconscious. I was I was doing something... In fact, I was recording with uh, Jeff Burke. We did a recording as Mandala Trap, which mm-hmm. hopefully we'll work on and release at some point. And the fellow who was recording it said, oh, there's a bit of hiss in there. And I'd obviously uh, sampled something from cassette. Um now, it wasn't a deliberate thing to sort of try and emulate that, mm. but it's maybe I think I find I do things as a result of listening and I find it pleasing or I enjoy it. But I don't want to sound like something that I've heard on another label. I want to do what I do, but I might incorporate elements mm. or things. I think, and it, be, and it just sort of happens without being specifically designed that way. So when he sort of said that, I kind of thought, well, yeah, I guess I've taken a few little sounds I made as a kid and I've been playing with those lately so mm. but I think I thought I've always sort of been doing that anyway but yeah. the thing with uh, a lot of these artists who are releasing material on cassette I mean it's not just the kind of sound quality or, or the hiss that they're um, appropriating I suppose they're also kind of uh, looking back and, and appropriating some of that very early kind of a, a prototype electronic music I suppose um, do you think they're actually when you when you listen to some of that do you, do you do you hear anything new in that or do you think it's just a, a sort of a retread if, if you like um, no I do hear new things I do hear new things I think it's like any any kind of music there there are people that will do their own versionings of things and there will be those that will just add a new twist to it I think the things that I find intriguing is when there the lo-fi elements produce results where I really don't know what's going on. Um, there's a release that's just come out this year on Not Not Fun, and I think it's called... I know the release is called Foxy Baby. I, I, I can't remember just off the top of my head if it's Outer Limits recording or something like that. And it's a guy who released something under the name Bermuda uh, Telepaths last year. And the earlier release was very much in the... Um, sort of mysterious faux tropical um, sort of skaters, sort of the, mm. the solo stuff of the skaters. This um, sounds like another versioning of the skaters, which is um, a Lamborghini crystal offshoot, which is very much almost like a weird versioning of 50s and 60s pop, but recorded so badly, seemingly so badly, uh, and it, it reminds me of that. And I guess what I'm more drawn to, I mean, I'll hear things and I might say, well, you know, that's this or it's that. But it's the things that I'm left wondering what the hell they're doing. Mm. And I find that recording's one. I really, I've tried to, I mean, I know it's, it sounds like it was recorded on Mum's mono cassette recorder two blocks away. It's just very odd. <laughs> but I love it. And it's yeah. very, you know, um, wonky. You know, wonky's a word I use. I guess it's, it just sounds like something's not yeah. quite right. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess a lot of the, I, I've never tried to look at things and go, oh, well, they're stealing this idea. I mean, I've spoken to a lot of people who look at that and think Mm. that and have a very backward view. And I think that 
for me, the one thing that's really annoyed me over time, and I make these little packs with myself when I'm younger, and one of the packs I made with myself, I'm never going to be an old, well, back in my day mm. kind of person because I think that's just being really negative, you know. And if, um, you know, as I get older, if young people discover things, because the thing that we have to remember is that when you discover music when you're young, you've got no point of reference. Mm. And if that's new for you and you get excited and you make it in and, and you put your own stamp on it, who am I to say to you, oh, you don't understand the, the historical context? I think that's really, that's being blinkered, mm. you know. Mm. It's like there was a lot of older people in the sound scene when I started being, doing stuff and using a laptop and they were real naysayers, you know. And it just annoyed me, you know. I, I just think that is the first step to being out of touch, mm. And I think also, I mean, you know, for for something like that, I mean, in many cases where I've had the experience of hearing something that's recorded now, and then somebody will tell me, oh, you know, that's just a ripoff of X, Y, and Z. When I go back and listen to the source, I go, well, okay, maybe maybe now I can see where that lineage is, but I don't like X, Y, and Z. I don't get anything out of it. I mm. actually get something out of what I'm hearing now. And you're right, it's, 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 it's that kind of, uh, um, it's obviously all down to personal taste, but if it takes... Um, if it takes it being refracted, you know, an, an old sound being refracted um, through something new for me to appreciate that, then that's what the is far more it. criminal if you were to knowingly, you know, let's say Krautrock's back on the scene, if you had the full knowledge of Krautrock behind you and you went and made a total kind of Krautrock sound mm. because of that knowledge, I think that would be annoying. Mm. But if mm. if you've never heard Can or Faust and you heard it and decided. I don't know if you heard. I, I, I guess if if you had no understanding and you did something that was like it, you know, and whether that be, uh, you know, um, post punk synth music or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Mm. I mean, if that's your expression, you know, I I think you know the thing is, music is just it's the more the the older I get, the more I realise you, you either like something or you don't, and because you don't like it, doesn't mean that. Other people have to listen to what you say. And I find that there are a lot of people even in positions of knowledge or, you know, think they know better, sort of say, oh, no, this is wrong because, well, it's wrong for you, but mm. it doesn't mean it's wrong for everyone else. And I think that's the trap that particularly mm. if you do have that knowledge, you have to be really careful because mm. you just come across as a musical snob otherwise.
one outlet that that you have um, that's quite rare is that you know you're able to sit down once a week and prepare a radio show for for ABC for for Quiet Space, um, and you know when you're being asked on a on a regular basis to prepare that amount of music on, with such regularity, you can't afford to be precious. You you you, you can't afford to play favorite and 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 stick with one particular style or artist and so on because it'll get boring for you and boring for for listeners you have to um be as open-minded as possible mm. is do you do you do you agree in, in some ways i mean there is constraints with i mean so the two programs that i present one for fbi which is play lunch and that's a much freer that's a for me that's a real freedom train because mm. uh you know i i will play a lot more diverse and at times even more aggressive music than I would play on the ABC. The ABC really, in effect, Quiet Space is a program that is, for want of a better term, ambient. Now, I think there's more to that term. Mm. And for me, what I've wanted to do is to show that there is a whole other side to ambient. That you know, there's the Brian Eno door and you go through it and you go, what the hey? And I try to put the show together in a... It's a bit like flying a plane. Um, there's a really lovely takeoff and there's a really lovely landing, but in the middle, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to be finding a little <laughs> bit of turbulence. But I never play all-out noise. Um, there has to be, you know, there'll be, it, it's quite dronal, and, but there'll be also the kind of, th- what I want to do, and the program goes to where in the wee hours of the morning, and probably mm. not a lot of people actually listen to it live, but I really want to recreate when I discovered strange music in the early hours of the morning mm. and I remember listening on headphones and I just thought I was on another planet like it was so exciting to hear these unusual things and particularly on the AM band it mm. just takes on a whole new turn so you imagine <laughs> listening to this cassette stuff which is really hissy mm. and hearing it on an AM and it seriously <laughs> I just I just love the fact that there's probably some poor farmer out in Galagambone that's getting absolutely the whoopsie scared out of him when he gets up to feed the cows um, so it's it's that kind of thing it's it's this and you know the opportunity that you have to share music that you truly believe in Mm. Um, is really exciting. Now, you talk about fa- play favourites. I do have to be careful because there are labels I get excited about and I'll mine that. And so, you know, the thing to realise is there is a whole you know, historical context of music mm. to be played. So, yeah, I try and mix and match and, um, you know, so it's there'll be, you know, the current crop of dronesters, but then I'll go back to some of the more minimal electronics mm. and, um, you know, it's just a wide variety of, of stuff. So I guess, yeah, whereas... You know, FBI, um, I can play from any of the different genres, which mm. is you know, mm. great. Well, part of um, part of what I've seen crop up on on Quiet Space um, has been, um, I guess, I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit about, um, uh, I guess, the kind of young artists who are kind of um, recapturing either willfully or, or accidentally sounds of the past, releasing it through cassette and creating that sound. But then there's the kind of... Um, I don't know what kind of phrase I would use to describe it, but the more kind of considered approach of people like caretaker, um, you know, who are and uh, and rangers and, and and other artists who are coming at it from a slightly different angle, but still, um, you know, creating what I guess is described as like ontology, you know, mm. and so on. Mm. Um, is that a sound that that in, intrigues you as well? Definitely. I mean, um, the caretaker's music I was really um, aware of from back in the VVM days because I was in contact. With those guys, and um, at some point they 
you know, they used to send me a lot of CDs and most of it was just, you know, mucking around. As I <laughs> there was a it. lot of rubbish that came out of that. Time. It's funny though. You know, <laughs> it, it, it really reminded me of, you know, I guess what I did at school but never had the real kind of um, balls to, to release myself, you know. It's, it's like a big two fingers music, you know. It's it of, is. It's, yeah. it's, it's, the, it's the jokey kind of mm. stuff, um, you know, and, and I've never, you know, never really kind of released that kind of stuff myself. But, I mean, you know, being an idiot's a very big part of my life and not a lot of people know that. As they get to know me, they realise that I actually joke around a lot. But um, so when I first was sent the very first Caretaker release, it really did surprise me, you know, mm. and I thought it was really beautiful. Um, but, you know, once again, it's 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 funny because I've met people who said, oh, yeah, he's just slowing down some 78s and putting some reverb on it. Well, you know what? Maybe he is, but it's beautiful. <laughs> and that's, for me, yeah. the end of the day. I really don't care what people do. I have yeah. no interest in software. I have no interest in methodology. All I care about is what I listen to. Yeah. I, it, it, you know, And that's having watched The Caretaker, from what I can tell, st- stand up on a stage and play a DVD and watch it and drink a bottle of scotch at Mutech. <laughs> now, there were a lot of people that were angry with that, but... It was it was beautiful. If you enjoyed it, then you know exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a guy. Um, uh, the, the name will come to me later, but I bought a CD from him, and it's uh, uh, plays plays uh, plays Wagner. I think was the, the title of the CD, um, and uh, in a very similar, very very similar fashion to, to Caretaker. But just going back and just reading, reading the archives to grab as much Wagner as he could and slowing it down and just you know ripping it to pieces. Um, and you know, I would never listen to Wagner. It's just not something mm-hmm. that's you know they're accessible or kind of that I have a desire to listen to. Mm. But I loved it. You know, mm. I really did enjoy it. And yeah, you're right. Maybe it is just a guy mm. taking Wagner and, you know, putting it through processors, th- but it sounds, it sounds good. I think the thing that, I don't know, for me as an artist, and, and I assume that a lot of these characters are doing, and, and to me what seems important is, and this may sound strange, at the end of the day, I honestly don't really, this probably sounds awful, consider the listener. Because what I'm doing is I'm pleasing myself. Mm. And it sounds selfish, but I have to believe in what I'm doing. I'm not doing something because I want to sound like X or Y or I need to do this. So, oh, yes, I need a bit more. It's interesting. I catch a cab nearly every night and there's a guy who I've sort of developed a friendship with. And, you know, over time it must have come out because I don't sort of get in cabs and say, hey, guess what I do? (laughs) But he asked and then he kept asking because I, and then I just go, oh, you don't really don't want to hear it, you know, because they have an assumption of, you know, particularly when he's playing Billy Joel in the cab, great. (laughs) So I gave him this CD and last night he said to me, I listened to that CD and I said, all oh, right, yeah. And I'm just waiting for it. And he says, very interesting, which is always the term that's used, you know, which basically means there's a lot of horseshit, you know. Anyway, <laughs> he said, uh, very interesting. Um, I, had a, I had this guy who's a musician that got in the cab and he had to listen to it. And he said, oh, what are you listening to? He said, oh, it's a friend of mine who makes music. He said, he could put some beats in there, make it more palatable. And I just said, I wish I was in the cab because I'd say, that's not what it's about, mate. Yeah. I don't want to make it palatable. I don't want to really i mean if people like it that's really good but it's not about that mm. you know that's why in essence the music of pyramid will always be you know the small goldfish bowl because i'm doing what i want to do mm. and i know that it isn't going to be of wide appeal but that's but you know you'll you'll have a greater sense of um 
you know, satisfaction from that because oh, well, you're, you're never having to compromise what it is that well, you're doing. Well, I, I, I can't imagine ever doing it. Yeah. I mean, whether it's pig-headed or stubborn, I remember somebody once who releases music said, oh, I've sent this music off and they don't want to use the last track. What do you think? And I said, do you believe in the last track? And they said, yeah. I said, tell them to stick it. And the person changed it and said, oh, really? And I said, yeah. And I honestly wouldn't. If they, if I really believe in something, I don't think, you know, it's, it, I, I think, I mean, I think you, you, yeah, I mean, you can come across as being stubborn by saying that. But I think if, you know, you really believe in something, why, why should you change it? You know? And if it means you have to put it out elsewhere, if you have to do something, you know, on your own even, well, so be it. So what's interesting is taking taking that idea forward and thinking about Mandala Trap because this is although you've like for example collaborated with you know Oren and Fenez um, on that uh, re- release a few years back, to my knowledge this is the the first kind of I guess named collaboration in that sense where it's it's you and Jeff Birch yeah. formerly of Songs um, coming together under a new name under under Mandala Trap. So mm. I mean going in there with a, a um, Having what we just talked about, the the idea of of saying no, this is just for me, and you know I'm not going to compromise. Did you? How did you enter into that partnership with a spirit of being willing to compromise? Or yeah, I found it. Well, I guess I had come off the back of doing some stuff with Ensemble Offspring, and the the challenge for me is, I think, firstly, a I'm an only child. Now that doesn't mean I'm spoiled or or got my own way, or but it does mean that I'm I'm happy to work on my own, and it is weird to be working with other people. I think the difference between being a Mandala Trap as to being a Songs is that Mandala Trap comes from a spirit of improvising. So when we sit down, we kind of talk a little bit. I mean, I think when we initially spoke about what our dream was to make the music, I don't think the end result was anything like it. But I think we had a common interest and we thought, well, let's give this a go. So I don't think there's an issue or, I mean, there certainly has never been an issue for me um, with, uh, or Jeff, because I'm sure he would say something, but I guess what I'm saying is we've just done it and there hasn't been. Now, the interesting thing will be in the listening to the recording. Uh, and I think that's a different kettle of fish because you then have to sit and decide, will we do this, will we do that? So I haven't really got to the point where we've just recorded material, which was done in the spirit of improvisation. Uh, so that will be an interesting thing, and I don't know how that will... I, I have no idea, particularly if someone says, oh, I like this there, and if I didn't, I don't know what I'll say. <laughs> I, I kind of do, but I don't know how it'll, how it'll be yeah. sort of uh, worked out. But, yeah, so I think in... In some ways, I probably am, am best to do my own thing, but that's not because I'm a crazy old guy. It's just, it's just what I'm used to. But yeah. I think by doing these things, it, it, it stretches you. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. It, it tests your flexibility. It tests how much control am I willing to let go.
It's Mandala Trap on New Year Australia here on FBI. Recorded at last year's unpopular music gig, uh, which was the FBI fundraiser at Red Rattler. It's Pimmon and Jeff Birch, formerly of Songs, coming together there as Mandala Trap. And play that off the back of uh, an interview we're currently listening to with Paul Goff, uh, a.k.a. Pimmon. Now, uh, to wind up the interview that uh, we <coughs> carried out with uh, Pimmon last week, we return to uh, the cassette release we mentioned earlier, which is due out very soon on Spanish Magic on the A side is a 2005 Pimmon live recording and uh, on the B side something from much from further back in the archives I'll let, uh, I'll let Paul tell you a little bit more about it as we chat once again to Pimmon. Another uh, release that's, uh, that's pending that I'm very intrigued about is this um, is a split cassette and uh, it's a Split cassette with yourself. I know, this is showing. I really do have some problems that we haven't (laughs) spoken about. But the yellow pills are working, Stuart. (laughs) So this is a recording uh, taken from uh, Sound No Sound in in 2005, out through Spanish Magic. But you've chosen on the flip of the cassette to uh, delve very deep into the back catalogue, very, very deep indeed, to back to 1983 Mm. when you were making music under the name Wyclept Dinmakers. That's right. Or... also known as people who make a lot of noise, I guess. Is that how you would translate it, something like that? What, um, what was the impetus to split yourself in two but also, you know, dive back 22 years? Well, there had to be, uh, a, there had to be something. Well, I guess it could have been a one-sided release or we could have just put the same thing again on the other side. Um, I toyed with other material, but it then dawned on me that... Um, well, see, the thing was, I think I kind of got... I got accidentally, well, not accidentally, I got outed by a couple of people in Gail Priest's book, which initially I was a bit, oh, about, because I had made all this music and released a couple of cassettes when, you know, I was a kid and sort of hawked it around to record stores. And I really don't know how many I sold, but I sold a few. And I was one of them was wrapped in a half a safety boot with glad wrap. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> I decided at some point, in, in maybe in the same spirit of even, you know, because there's always been this burning, you wonder what people will think. I mean, I, I still, I, I have a fascination, which sounds strange, with that earlier stuff in that I feel on one level incredibly embarrassed because it's, you know, played poorly at times. It, it It's just odd and... um it's a it's a different version of me, but at the same time, it makes me think. Well, you know, I was, I I was, I'm not me now. I was this younger version of me growing up in the middle of the Western suburbs, where there was really, I had no influence from friends or family to want to do this kind of stuff, and yet I did all these things, and it was once again very prolific. Mm. And some of the material I listened to, I I'm left in that similar vein, scratching my head, just saying, what the hell was going on. <laughs> It's just really so. I guess then it's that challenge of saying to yourself, "Will I? What will people make of this? Is it really just rubbish, or will they think, well, this is kind of cute?" Or I just don't know. So um, this this is something a little different, though. This is this is almost what we were talking about before about young people having no context doing things. I mean, I honestly had no other than you know I used to listen to 
to MBS FM late at night. They had a late night collective that really mm. went off the radar with playing sort of unusual stuff. Um, so I kind of was getting a bit of knowledge of that kind of music through there. Uh, but I had no reference points for John Cage or, or, or Burroughs and Loops and any of that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, there was a bit from Tom Ellard, probably from Severed Heads, which is where I probably got the idea of working mm. playing with Loops. So, um, and I'd started doing uh, work at 2SCR. And so I used to go in there late at night and I developed this system that we called the old Loopola, which was with two reel-to-reel machines. We made these loops and they fed back on themselves. And so I did a lot of these recordings and, you know, um, I just listened to one of them and I thought, this is pretty wacky. That would be unusual. So I, I, I sent it to Mark from Spanish Magic. It was, I just said, look, what do you think about this as the B-side? And I think it kind of blew his mind when he listened to it. He just said, I can't believe this. So so I, I guess it's my first, like, almost, if you can imagine me cringing, putting my hand up and yeah. saying, this was think? me. Well, not even what do you think, because, I mean... It's more just saying, yeah, I did this kind of stuff, and I guess it's a kind of ownership. And trying is there, to how, is there more? You don't want to know. <laughs> I, I went through the garage on the weekend. I was throwing stuff out, and I, I found a, a forgotten box. A box, yeah, not just one cassette, but a whole bunch. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's good. No, <laughs> it's a matter of. I mean, look, you know, I've got a similar box of Pim and stuff. Of. I mean, I could put out another 10 releases mm. tomorrow, but is it any good? And that's the thing. Mm. And that's the thing. And I have to be sure when I do stuff. Mm. I mean, in my head, I've got the next two releases mapped out, but I've just got to actually have the, um, I've just got to sit down and do it. You know? Well, God forbid anything happens to you and you know, no, well, the, anyway. the estate of Pimmon, you know, finds no, these man. boxes. And there'll, uh... be, yeah, there'll never be the Mertz box by any means, <laughs> but there, there could be a juicy little 20 disc set. Shipped to in drive a, anyone nuts. Shipped in a big gumbo. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> Paul, thanks very much. Oh, well, thank you for allowing me on your program. You've been listening to uh, a chat with uh, Pimmon and myself, Stu Buchanan, here on New Weird Australia on FBI. But to take us out, let's hear some of that Wyclept Dinmaker's recording. It's called Fruits Machine. And as we said, it's out soon on Spanish Magic. Pimmon playing live tomorrow night at Sound Series at the Hardware Gallery on Enmore Road. was too weird to be believed. It was in the wrong place. No. Weird. Australia.